Our text is before us, but if you would take this time to find 2 Corinthians 5. Phones, tablets, Bibles, whatever that you carry, because I will spend some time in that reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just leave it there, just like me. Have it open. And we will turn now to the Word of God that is before you. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Let me read this for us. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Amen. Last week, we talked about thanking God. And we have to learn from the scriptures how to give thanks to God. And I want to drive one theme over and over again as we study the Philippians together. That is the humility of Christ. The term doulos sets the tone from the beginning. And it is identity in Christ as his slaves, we are able to give thanks. And God, Christ, the Master, could give us all things. Yet yeah, we should be, and we will be thankful, was last week. And what I want to talk about today is not verse 4, but verse 3, the second half of verse 3. I wanted to speak on verse 4. But once again, it became just too long. But if you would look at verse 3 and 4, 3, 4, 5 is a unit. But let me read verse 3 and 4 again, and let me see if you could notice something. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in all my every prayer for you all. You probably have seen from the movies or the books, there are the profilers in the FBI. You know, they look at some of the evidences and they try to identify the criminals and try to predict their future actions based upon their uh, present data they have collected, the profilers. What if I were to be a profiler of Apostle Paul? Because here, he is, here it is, his handwritten note. Looking at verse 3 and 4, how will I profile him? What is my assessment of him, Paul, who's writing this letter? I will conclude, based upon verse 3 and 4, that Apostle Paul is a passionate man. Why? Because I have noticed these words. All, always, every, all. 
These are the languages of a man who is full of passion. Try to read verse 3 and 4 half-heartedly, detached, disinterested way. You can do it. As he is writing and I am reading these, I feel him. He is a kind of man who will do all things with everything that he has. And once again, let me read this in, in this apathetic way and see if it makes sense. I thank my God in, you know, some remembrance of you. Always, not really always, but sometimes when I offer my prayer with, I don't know, joy maybe sometimes. In my every prayer, yeah, I guess, for you all, ah, maybe some of you. So I was reading these verses and, huh, this man is a fool man. He is a spirit-filled man. You could say this is just introduction. This is just his way of saying hi, exaggeration. But I don't want to say that because these words are all inspired word of God. And here he is, old man, apostle of Jesus Christ, laid in his life in prison, writing this letter. And from the get-go, from the beginning, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. The same apostle says in Romans 12 this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You know what he would say if he sees a Christian who is lukewarm, who doesn't do it all the way with full Strength, he would say, No, 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 you cannot do that. You have to serve the Lord with fervency in your spirit. Do it with passion. That word, zeal, is with haste, speed, eagerness, enthusiasm, diligence, zeal, and so on. It was in the late 90s that famous Bible teacher in the radio, Chuck Swindle, came back to Dallas Seminary to be the president of the seminary. And one of our brothers went to Dallas Seminary. So he told me that he saw Chuck Swindle. I don't know if you know him. Insight for Living, if you turn it on the uh, Christian radio. Chuck Swindle. I used to listen to him all the time in, in my car. So I asked him, so how, how is it to see Chuck Swindle in person in Dallas Seminary. And I remember what my brother said to me. He said he saw him in the chapel and he was up in the stage with the guest preacher. And, and he said Chuck Sinder was clapping for that person. But he noticed he was clapping with passion. And he said, you know, even his clapping was different. He wouldn't do this. But with Whole heart. He's giving every part of himself as he is clapping for that person. And it stuck with me. Right? You could do things in halfway, 
disinterested way. But a man of God and a woman of God, no matter what your natural disposition is, if there is gospel inside of you, living Christ in you, I don't think that person could be lukewarm. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, that famous preacher, said in the text, Preaching and Preachers. And what he's preaching, he says, Preaching is logic on fire, eloquent reason. Are these contradictions? Of course not. Reason concerning this truth ought to be mightily eloquent, as you see in the case of the Apostle Paul and others. Preaching, it is theology on fire. And a theology which does not take fire, I maintain, is a defective theology. Preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. A true understanding and experience of the truth must lead to this. I say again that a man who can speak about these things dispassionately has no right whatsoever to be in a pulpit and should never be allowed to enter one. Strong language. Obviously, he's not saying to be loud. You know, preachers, you should be loud, bombastic. That's not what he's saying. You could be quiet, yet you could glow from within. You don't have to be loud, charismatic. But what I am saying is I've noticed this in verse 3 and 4. Who could say this? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. He's someone who has met Christ and experienced the truth. And I pray that all of you, all of us, could become people of God who, is, who are passionate about His kingdom. Now, let's look at verse 3, second half of verse 3, more carefully. And for me, this was an eye-opener, and I am very excited to share about this. Look at verse 3 with me, the second half. I thank my God. That's what we looked at last week. In all my remembrance of you. That all my remembrance is the centerpiece in verse 3 and 4. So as he remembers them, Philippians, he's giving thanks in verse 3, first half. As he remembers them, he's giving prayers for them in verse 4. So what is central in verse 3 and 4 is how he is remembering the Philippians. But listen to me here. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And I want you to think about that word, all my remembrance. All my remembrance of you. Isn't it true? Think with me. When you think about someone, when you remember someone, some people will make you, as you remember that person, some, that person will make you feel joyful. Some of your remembrance of some other people will make you feel sad. 
or angry, depending on what? Depending on your past encounters and experiences with that person. Isn't that true? So when you think about A, based upon your experience and past history with A, how you feel about that person will be determined. The question is, how can Apostle Paul, he is not sinless, he is the sanctified man, only Christ is sinless, how can he claim that I thank my God in all my remembrance of you? All. Each and every time I remember you, I thank my God. And here we discover the most important Christian principle. That is, all actions are the results of our thoughts. Correct? Then, how you remember that person will determine your action, reaction, or inaction toward that person. Therefore, it is part of your Christian sanctification to recognize that your remembrance of someone must be guided by the Christian principles, namely faith, love, and hope. Let me explain. Last week, I told you we need to learn how to give thanks according to the scriptures. Same thing here. We need to learn from the Bible how to remember other Christians. Here, the context is between Christians. You cannot let that past experience be the determining factor in how you remember that relationship. And at this point, a verse came to my mind. God does that sometimes in my own preparation, and that verse was this, 2 Corinthians 5.16. If you have that, now is the time to turn there. This is the portion of Scripture that will unlock chapter 1, verse 3b. Here, Apostle Paul says the same thing. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What does that mean? So, going back to that remembrance, if you regard that person according to the flesh, this is how you are going to remember that person. Oh, if you have been good to me, I will remember you as pleasant experience and I will be good to you. If you've been bad to me, well then, tit for tat, you've been bad to me, I will be bad to you. That is the determining factor in your behavior, Christian behavior. But that's how you recognize and it, that person in fleshly manner, in flesh, simple way fallen way. And Christian way is higher way. That is, as you remember them, you cannot simply see that in, in flesh, but apply love, hope, and faith toward that person that we're talking about Christians through the lens. Then, only then, you could pray for them 
and you could thank God for them in all of your remembrance of that person. If you have that passage, 2 Corinthians 5, so I went back to that portion and tried to understand the context, 2 Corinthians 5. And if you have that, let's turn to the same passage, verse 14. And this really unlocked the mystery of how can you give thanks all the time when you think about them always. Here is the key. Verse 14 and following. I'm going to read and I'm going to explain. Remember, Corinthian church was a church that was full of infighting. And it says, For the love of Christ controls us. That's it. You are letting that past experience control you. If you are thinking about that person in a fleshly manner. That's the natural way, isn't it? That's how the world operates. You love me, I love you. You hate me, I hate you. But Apostle Paul says something striking. For the love of Christ controls us. And what I am saying is that should be the case for you. As you remember, A, you cannot let that past history be the determining sole factor for you, how you are going to react against that person. But you should say, according to that verse, love of Christ controlled me in remembering that person. Remembering, you cannot simply remember as the fleshly way. The only thing that you will give to that person is depending on their performance, you will measure that performance and give exactly that. But if love of Christ controls you in your thinking even, as you bring that person into your memory, as you remember that person, if the love of Christ is the controlling factor, what's going to happen? Listen to this. Why? Why? How is that the love of Christ controls him? Because he says he has concluded this. Having concluded this, that means this is settled for me. That one died for all, therefore all died. Once again, the gospel talk. But listen carefully what he's saying. And he died for all. Did you hear what he... He's not talking about doctrine of faith here. All the time, Apostle Paul talks about the gospel truth to apply. How is it that, Apostle Paul, that love of Christ is controlling you consistently? Always. No matter what. He will say, because I have settled this in my heart. Having concluded, concluded this, what's the conclusion? That one died for all. Therefore all died. It was Christ who decided to give his life for that believer, brother or sister. Therefore, all died. They died. And he died for all so that they who live for us, all of us, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What does that mean? Think about it. When you have free time, you want to take someone to Starbucks, whatever. Who would you spend time with? You're not going to call up your enemy and say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. Why? Because it hurts. It brings up all kinds of memories and it 
physically, literally hurts. So you don't want to do that. So, you know, what we do is that we hang out with our best friends. Nothing wrong with that, but if we stay there, really, that is natural person. That is how you look at someone fleshly. But what Apostle Paul is saying here is that I have concluded that Christ died for that person and they died as well. Therefore, all died. He died for all, so we are here to no longer live for ourselves. Yes, if we want to live for ourselves in our remembrance of other people, we will only remember the people that have been good to us. Isn't that true? But because Christ died for them and they also died, and because Christ called us to live not for ourselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf, not on our behalf, but on their behalf, therefore, he says, this conclusion, verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Did you hear? I think it has every implication for us. Regarding someone according to the flesh is to make that past history be the deciding factor. But if you are a Christian who are being sanctified, then you should confess and you should have that desire within you that that's right. It is Christ who died for them on their behalf. And I don't want to live for myself, only for my pleasure and safety, comfort, they may not yet be fully sanctified. That's why they are behaving that way. But Christ died for them. So, I want to love them. Love of Christ controls us. He will go one step further in verse 17 and says this. Says this Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, new creature. All things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you just quote that verse, it talks about some kind of new epoch coming in. But it is not. In the context, what he's saying is, the reason why I am able to see that person who is a difficult person is because I recognize that person as a new creation. Definitive sanctification. Regeneration. Yes, it may be slow going because that is why he or she is becoming a trouble, let's say. In the church. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So what he's saying is, I am going to regard him or her as a new creation. It takes faith, eyes of faith to see that. Like Simon Peter becoming Peter. And that person may not yet be sanctified. He claims or she claims to be a Christian. But really, you know, you don't want to deal with that person. In our natural state, we will shun them, avoid them. But Apostle Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Yodia and Sintaiki, they were fighting. He could have said, you know, when I think about you two, I get angry. You two, troublemakers, out. 98 of you, that's okay. But the man thinks in big category. In all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with you in my every prayer for you all. If Christ has given his life indiscriminately to, for the Philippians, who is he to make judgment? 
Verse 18 and 19 of the same chapter says this. Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, he's saying, now we have a job. There's a ministry of reconciliation. I may not like that person, but Christ gave his life for him or her, and God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How? Not counting their trespasses against them. If you let someone offend you, and the context again is not, let's remember Hitler in this way, or abuser in this way. We are not talking about that. This is, uh, let's say, Christian life. Life together in Christ. Let's say church life. The reason why he could carry on with the ministry of reconciliation is what God has done. God didn't count their trespasses against them. Obviously, God didn't give blind eye to that sin. He had to die. Christ had to die for them. What he's saying is that you don't want to take those offenses from them against you and get so hard that you now end up becoming his or her enemy. How sad would be in the same church, in the same church, people are divided and hating one another, and the truth is, it happens all the time. But, Apostle Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. Yes, I like that. It's not, oh, I'll have to wait and see. You know, I don't know how many times I'm being fooled by that person. And the conclusion is this. If we try to mimic him, Paul, and we should, and it is the word of God, try to do verse 3 and 4 at home. Remembering everyone with thanksgiving to God, praying for everyone, Not just for the people that you love and like, but somewhat difficult people too. How? Because you will say, love of Christ controls me now. Christ died for that person. You know how liberating this is? That you do not have to be the judge for other brothers and sisters. It is not you who make Distinctions and categories, adjusting your right response according to that category. Category five people, difficult people, no response. Category three, coffee and bagels. Category one, maybe, I don't know, hanging out after church or something like that. Same apostle says, Romans 14, 4, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Therefore, based upon all of these verses, we should, we should simply decide today to love them all. That should be your stance or my stance. This, this you have to do. You have to do spiritual open-heart surgery this week. 
As I told you, centerpiece is your remembrance. This is very important. How you remember that person will either make you give thanks to God and pray for that person or the other side, the other way. But we cannot do that as Christians. So I told you today the key how we should remember people that God has placed in our lives, within our bounds. If done right, you should feel guilty too. If you feel guilty, then you should confess your sin. That's why you are feeling guilty because the Word of God is invading your comfort zone, your privacy. It is the searchlight that is, that is turned on towards you. Such and such, you claim to be a Christian, and yet you regard people according to the flesh. That's not how it should be. We should grow up. And we have to settle like Apostle Paul to conclude that it is the love of Christ that is controlling all of my thinking. Even how you remember. Even that has to be applied. Gospel has to be applied in the process of your remembering. You cannot simply let whatever comes to your mind and process and get angry or be happy. That's very fleshly. But as you apply these words this week, you know, you really have to search your heart. And if God convicts you this week, then we have to confess our sins. And God will accept your confession. And why don't we begin within our family members, uh, within us, What about our church family? We have to be saturated with love of Christ. To regard no one according to flesh. But simply conclude today and so on in the future. That I would regard everyone through the love of Christ. I would simply love that person. And I will pray we'll meet next Sunday. Unless we do this, verse 4 cannot happen. Verse 4 is about praying. How can you pray for someone that you hate? We can't. So this is necessary. And think about all the people that you hate. And then put this verse through you and remember them through these verses. And you probably will have to do some spiritual wrestling on your own. And I pray that God will give you grace and peace this week. And that's where Christian life begins for you and for us as a church. Let's pray.